Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can find more Out of the Fog content and the adventures of Maisie the Puppy. All of that awaits you on Instagram. If you follow Fog City Psychic, you can be part of my wacky world of intuition and jigsaw puzzles and occasional trips to the dog dock with Miss Maisie. You can find out more about my work as an intuitive and a teacher at karenhager.com. Now then, what is the key to having more confidence? Dr. Joan Rosenberg is my guest today, and she believes that we undermine ourselves when we disconnect or distract from our emotions. She's identified eight key unpleasant emotions that can trip us up. And she's here to share some tools for releasing those emotions so that we can feel more confident and be more successful. Her new book is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. Why is 90 Seconds important? Well, listen, because I'm going to ask her. Are you ready to meet her? Psychologist Joan Rosenberg, PhD, is a best-selling author, corporate wellness consultant, and a media expert. She's an acclaimed speaker and trainer on communication, confidence, resilience, authenticity, and grief. As a three-time TEDx speaker and member of the Association of Transformational Leaders, Dr. Rosenberg's been recognized for her innovative emotional mastery and confidence-building approach, and for her thought leadership and global influence in personal development. Dr. Rosenberg has served as a mental health media consultant for documentaries, print, radio, television, and digital outlets. She's an Air Force veteran and now a professor of psychology at Pepperdine University. Her latest book is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. You can find out more at drjoanrosenberg.com. Joan, welcome to Out of the Fog. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm glad you're here. What do you feel like are some of the reasons that we can get stuck living what you call in the book, a life by default, as opposed to a life by design? What stops us? Actually, I think there are many things that stop us. I, I think that we have certain thought patterns that that keep us held back. I think that we have such as um, nothing good is going to come my way, or um, even if something good happens, something bad's going to follow, which frankly is the natural course of life, but um, ups and downs happen naturally in life. Or people have a hard time dealing with unpleasant feelings or difficult feelings, and uh, the prospect of experiencing those feelings um, I believe is one of the major things that holds people back from taking risks to pursue what's important to them. Uh, and so then they don't, then they don't engage in the behaviors that are the action taking that is needed to actually move their life forward. So in three big areas, thinking, feeling, and behaving or acting, um, people back off uh, from, from taking the risks and the other is that lots of people get caught into the thinking pattern that life is doing something to them mm. as opposed to seeing that they can actually co-create with life. And that's the, the latter is what I prefer to believe and certainly have witnessed in my life and many other people's lives. So that once you can move past this idea that life is doing something to you, um, you can learn that you can actually um, kind of be a partner with life and co-create with life. 
And that shifts. That's something I hear from people who I talk to is maybe this is fine for now, but what's going to happen to be next to me next? Sure, it's good, but something bad always. It's like what you said, sure, it's good now, but something bad always follows. And shifting to that perspective of being a co-creator in life, I could see how that would be a lot more empowering, but also might give us more options when the next thing is created does occur. Absolutely. And, and again, the, the idea here isn't that it's understanding that difficult life experiences are going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, and we'll all face those, but it's not linking together this idea that this good thing happens and then a bad thing happens. And, and what, what often occurs is that people link those two ideas together Oh, I, I was too happy, and then this bad thing happened. Of course, the bad thing happened, right? No, 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 no. The natural course of life is that we have lots of good and wonderful experiences and opportunities, and the, and along that same course of life, there are unexpected things that may be difficult or painful or unpleasant, and it's building in the awareness that that is kind of the course of life rather than thinking it's happening to you and you just can't get a good break. How are those patterns created? Where does that come from? How does that get started? I, you know, it's, uh, I was just talking to somebody this morning uh, and uh, working with that individual and she, she was telling me how she was really super happy and then immediately follow or not immediately following, but very shortly following um, her experienced happiness, a very, very painful uh, experience occurred. Mm. And she tied the two together. It's not, you know, it's, it's like, oh my God, you know, I was too happy. And, and then this thing happened. And then from then on, it was like, well, I shouldn't allow myself to get too happy because bad things are going to happen. So it, it, it can take one instance where somebody links those two things together uh, in a, in a way that is actually not usually logical nor appropriate, and then for years or decades uh, they continue with that same pattern of thinking. So it's it's just that we we get caught into trying to make sense of the world, and sometimes we overpersonalize it and think we're more powerful than than we are. Uh, even though we do have some, again, some sense of empowerment to your point. Uh, but, but then we, we, in a very faulty way, link ideas together that they actually don't belong together. You're really well known for your work on confidence. And I'm wondering how, if, if I hold the belief that I am really happy, so now I'm, I'm going to be punished, I can see how that would make me not confident even about feeling happy. So how do you, how do you define confidence and how can we rebuild after those painful experiences, after maybe we make those false links? Uh, I think there's lots of ways. Uh, the first thing is to understand kind of the, my perspective on confidence and, and the way I think about it or define it is that confidence is the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. Mm. And so the, the thing that I would underline here is the idea of emotional outcome. And, and 
alongside that is my idea of what whole, one of the biggest things that I think holds people back and and then prevents them from developing confidence is their difficulty with tolerating or difficulty experiencing eight unpleasant feelings. And and those to me, those eight unpleasant feelings are really, really important. And that once someone has the sense that they can handle those feelings, to me, that is the foundation of confidence. It's not everything that contributes to confidence, but it's the foundational piece for confidence. And these are our feelings, not our fear of how other people will react. Correct. Except it's going to be those same feelings in another person too, especially when we need to be in conversation with them. So, so go ahead. I can hear a, I can hear a question. <laughs> oh, I'm always about to say something. That's that's part of what it's like to be me. I was just thinking about how in this kind of situation we might stay away from other people because our own feelings might be overwhelming enough but to feel like we were triggering something in someone else. If I do this, if I dare this, if I ask this question, if I make this mood move, what will someone say or do? Right. And so in both cases, we need to be able to handle the unpleasant feelings within us and the unpleasant feelings within another. So the the eight the eight feelings that I always talk about are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. So it's it's those eight. And it's those eight, whether we experience them within ourselves or it's those eight, especially when we're in conversation with others, uh, that we also need to be able to tolerate in someone else. What does it mean to tolerate them? Uh, that you allow yourself to uh, uh, have the experience to experience. to. Uh, so let's say. I think of it as the kind of a an emotional equipment equivalent of stubbing your toe. So you know you're you're walking, you miss you misjudge the you know spatially, you accidentally hit your toe, and then it's like oh you know you're in pain, it's throbbing, but then it attenuates, it it subsides in a very short period of time. And and you want to think about and so you had to experience the stubbed toe the pain that was associated with that. It's the same is true for if any feeling that we have pleasant or unpleasant. Uh, we get, we have a reaction to like a spontaneous reaction to something. And we experience frankly, in our body, a reaction. And when we become aware of what that bodily sensation is, then we're aware of the feeling state, the emotional feeling. And the idea here is you just kind of stay present to it in the same way that you stay present to a stubbed toe. You just allow yourself to experience whatever it is that that bodily sensation that you're experiencing. And I and I like to suggest kind of breathing into it so that you can stay present to it and then it will subside just like the stubbed toe pain subsides. And I get the feeling we're coming up on that question about 90 seconds. Okay. What's the importance of 90 seconds in this idea of riding the waves? <clears throat> so, so this is, I had a big question. And as I got into my professional life as a psychologist, and the big question there was what made it so difficult for people to handle unpleasant feelings? And, and so I 
sort of kind of kept observing over many years and decades in this case. And what I became aware of is, is that in terms of answering that question, um, I, I came up with kind of a formula in terms of then dealing with the unpleasant feelings. So the, the formula, the idea here is uh, one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds, and then I'll, I'll walk us through then the experience. And the one choice is actually for people to choose into awareness. So to be as aware of and in touch with as much of their moment to moment experience as possible, as opposed to avoiding, which would involve things like social media, it might be sex, it might be pornography, it might be shopping, it might be food, it might be substance use, the list kind of goes on and on. Um, in fact, I think there's 35 different ways I talk about avoidance in the 90 seconds book. And I, again, I'm wanting people to choose into awareness. So, and then it's a one choice is awareness. The second part of this formula, if you will, is the eight feelings, which again, quickly are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. And it's these eight because they're the most common everyday experiences or common everyday spontaneous reactions to things not turning out the way we want or not turning out the way we believe they need to turn out. So it's the commonality or the everydayness of these feelings as to why I chose these eight. And then the 90 seconds is really the method, if you will, for leaning in. But it's the, the eight feelings are where the magic is. The 90 seconds is the method for leaning into the unpleasant feeling. And a couple key points here. One is that um, we're one interconnected whole. Our brain is always feeding information to our body and our body is always feeding information to our brain. And the important aspect of that is that uh, it, is, it comes with the understanding that most of us come to know what we feel emotionally through bodily sensation. And most people don't think about feelings that way. But if you, for instance, if I were embarrassed and you looked at my face, you'd see my redness. I would feel the heat of the bodily sensation. The heat in my face is my signal that I'm embarrassed. And then I go, oh, I'm embarrassed. But why? Because I've had that experience and I, I've learned to associate the two and name it that way. And, and it's different for every person, similar, but different for every person. And, and then the, the, the 90 seconds part here is that it was learning that, our, and it was Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor that made the observation that when a feeling gets triggered, there's a rush of biochemicals into the bloodstream that activate bodily, the bodily sensations and of, that of, the, of the feeling, and then they flush out of the bloodstream in an, roughly an upper limit of 90 seconds. So uh, years ago, I was always telling people to ride the wave, ride the wave, ride the wave. And, but I didn't understand I was actually telling people to ride short-lived bodily sensation waves. Mm -hmm. And if they could ride those short-lived bodily sensation waves, they can, in essence, hang in, tolerate, handle, experience, and move through whatever unpleasant feelings existed. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. Her new book is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. 
You can find more about Joan and her work at drjoanrosenberg.com. That's drjoanrosenberg.com, drjoanrosenberg.com. So there are feelings that can feel like they last forever, mm-hmm. especially the ones that trigger uh, so always on this show when i say us i mean me too always mm-hmm. the ones that trigger you know us and that we may tend to ruminate on those feelings can can feel like they go on forever how can we take that 90 second that knowledge of what is true 90 seconds from the time it comes into the time it goes out and and shift our awareness so that we don't get stuck in those endless loops uh, again, uh, the great question. Uh, one important element here is to understand you're riding one or more waves. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you're going to have, you may have a reaction of sadness to something or be or anger or frustration or disappointment, but it may not be just one wave, if you will. So it's, it's understanding that you're riding one or more short-lived bodily sensation waves to experience whatever the feelings are. That's the first thing to keep in mind. Um, The second is that it's not that feelings actually linger for, for, you know, weeks, months, decades, hours, whatever it is. It's that our thoughts and our memories um, that those feelings are attached to, if we keep on repeating them, one of the ways it feels like the feelings never go away and they just linger is because we keep on repeating over and over those same thoughts or same memories. So the feelings that are attached to those thoughts or the feeling that are attached to those memories, those are going to surface at the same time because they're linked together. Hmm. And, and there's other ways that I think people experience lingering feelings um, or this idea of lingering feelings. One is another one is that, they engage in in what the psychology field calls thought suppression. So that would be, well, I'm just not going to think about it. Well, except that never works. It's somewhat paradoxical because you have to think about the thing you don't want to think about it to not think about it. So it, it never works. So like if I asked you not to think of a blue tree, you'd have to think of a blue tree in order to try not to think about it, but now you're already caught in the mix. <laughs> So that doesn't work, but that sustains that kind of lingering feeling quality. And the a third big one is I really strongly believe that harsh self-criticism sustains unpleasant feelings and makes it feel like they linger much longer because you're you're sort of in charge of what you think, which is what harsh self-criticism is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's unfortunately, it's a thought hijack of unpleasant feelings. And the other kind of negative effect of it is that it also leaves you feeling like unpleasant feelings never go away. So three big reasons why it, there's this quality that some feelings never go away. How can, how can we replace? Is it no replace isn't right. I'm going to ask it this way. Anyway, how can we replace the unpleasant motions emotions with a more with a healthier more engaged experience because i feel like what you're talking about is our our experience of the emotion not just the feeling but then how it comes out through our body but also maybe what i might say to someone the decisions i might make going forward so how can we 
re- replace. That's a terrible word though, isn't it? Cause you can't actually, really replace one with another. Yeah. Actually, I don't want the feelings replaced. Yeah. And so uh, the first thing here to understand is that unpleasant feelings are, uh, we experience unpleasant feelings because they're here for protective purposes. So if I'm reacting with, uh, and disgust isn't one of the feelings I talk about, but if I'm reacting with a, a feeling of disgust or I'm reacting with uh, a feeling of anger, uh, then both of those are signaling, stay away. Don't, don't move towards that. Now, again, the challenge is, is if we are only guided by that and we don't override some of it, or we don't make use of it in a different way, then we'll just back off from taking risks in life. So we also have to understand that, for instance, if I'm going to go learn how to play tennis in front of a bunch of people, and I really think, you know, I think highly of those people and I don't want to embarrass myself, but I want to learn tennis, then I'm going to have to go, I'm willing to experience the embarrassment and it is what it is Mm -hmm. so that I can develop the skill I want to develop and who cares about what they think. And and so I have to I have to be able to override or or not override, that's not even what I want to say, is just go in with the understanding that I may experience some things I don't want to experience, but I'm willing to experience them in the service of my growth. And I'm willing to experience them in the service of what's meaningful to me or purposeful to me that I want to pursue. So if I have big goals or dreams, then I have to build in an awareness that these feelings are likely to occur. And that's simply part of the journey to success. It's mm-hmm. that it, I, I have a colleague that likes to say that people uh, people fail their way to success. I don't like to call it that way, but I do like to say that people disappoint their way to success, that there's lots of disappointments and frustrations on the way to the to the achievement of any kind of goal or any kind of dream. And just build it in and and let that be part of the experience and know that's just a signal that you're you're on course if you're experiencing you know more challenges and frustrations then you know what it's it's part of it then it's that's kind of helping carve who you need to be on your way to getting to that goal or dream you said a little bit about anger and mm-hmm. I wonder if you can talk about the difference between uh, expressing anger in a healthy way and what you call doing anger. Yeah, that, <clears throat> it's this is kind of a novel one. Um, happy to talk about that. Uh, expressing anger would sound like, you know what, Karen, um, when we had that exchange, it made me really angry that such and such occurred. Doing anger would be any escalation of that. So if I raised my voice, I got shrieky, I got sarcastic, I called you names, I put you down, a whole host of that, all of that to me is doing anger. So any escalation that actually likely leads to more of a shutdown for the listener Mm -hmm. is gonna be doing anger. So anything that looks like rage And anything that's escalated is doing anger. The expression of anger is being able to say, basically in a firm voice and probably at a normal, relatively normal conversational volume that uh, that you were upset or angry about something. 
That's all that needs to be said. And if I said that to you, you would understand I was angry, but I don't have to do anything more. The reason people escalate is because they don't feel heard and they don't feel understood. But the distinction I like to make here is that they're they're escalating physiologically. They're escalating in real time and yelling as if the literal hearing is off when symbolically or metaphorically they're not being understood. So it's it's this odd response that people escalate to be heard more and create a situation where they're actually heard less, but they think they're being heard at a at a normal hearing level, but it has to do with, in essence, kind of being heard at a heart level. And because of what you're sharing, what how emotions move through our body, if I escalate that anger, then I'm also so caught up in it that I'm not Mm, that keeps me from feeling into or creating maybe the kind of resolution that I'm in theory, hoping I'll create by getting louder or throwing the vase across the room or calling you a bad name. Exactly. Every bit of that. That's absolutely true. Wow. Yeah. So my thing is to express anger, but not to do anger. Which is difficult for some of us. So I'm a nearly 60 year old person with a nice Midwestern upbringing. Uh-huh. where you just try to stay relentlessly cheerful no matter what. Um, <laughs> you okay. know that upbringing, right? Um, and, um, and I know that doesn't work and I know that it isn't possible, but for people who carry maybe familial patterns or cultural patterns of, um, and that to me, that's part of that harsh self-criticism. Why aren't you more cheerful? Why can't you find the positive side of this? What is what would you suggest for people who find themselves going back to old habitual um, patterns, even when they know there's another way forward? Uh, <clears throat> that depends on kind of what it's connected to. Uh, you know, the the uh, I, I wanted to kind of go back to to something you were talking about in terms mm-hmm. of uh, before I try to answer that question more deeply. The because when we try to dismiss the fullness of experience, our experience, we're actually becoming less authentic. So if we have to act cheery all the time and we're not so cheery all the time, then we're not being authentic and genuine. And, and then we're cutting off from ourselves and now we're not a whole person and we feel the effects of the absence of that wholeness. Mm. And, and so, again, it's another reason in my mind, as to why it's important for us to experience the full range of what we feel, which is what I really think most of us want to do. It's because it leads to us feeling more whole, more alive, and way more authentic in life. So that's, so I want to, I want kind of wanted to talk about that just cheery side, because I, I, I don't, that's such an important point that you were making. And with the, the other, in terms of the patterns, uh, depending on how deeply embedded and whether they're attached to, again, particular difficult life experiences or painful life experiences, then there's a whole process that I have um, developed to help people make sense of those difficult life experiences so that they can hopefully move through them, have a different way of understanding them, and finally kind of let them be able to be in the in the background weave of their life as opposed to taking center stage and disrupting their life. Mm. 
Now, I know the clock has caught us here. How can listeners get their hands on the book and how can they find out more about what you're doing in the world and what you offer? Oh, thank you. Um, well, again, the the book can be found pretty much any place people buy books. I know it's at Barnes & Noble. I know uh, certainly it's on Amazon and I believe it's in some of the it, people are in the South or Southeast. Um, there's a different change there. So I, I believe it's really pretty much available. It might even be available at Target and Walmart if, if I'm correct. <laughs> so, so it's um, just, it's really just kind of punching in the book and, and then identifying um, the best place for you to acquire it. The, um, where they can find out more about me is at drjoanrosenberg.com. Um, I'm also, uh, I'm reasonably frequently on uh, Instagram. I've been away for a little bit, but we'll be resuming that sooner as opposed to later. And I would say looking at Instagram, Twitter, or those kinds of places for the other things I'm up, up to. So you can come to my website. You can get on my mailing list if, you, if that's of any interest to you. You can you can see what's happening there, and likewise, um, watching some of the social media would be a place to find me too. And uh, most of my handles are Dr. Joan Rosenberg, so D R Joan Rosenberg, and that's a really easy way to find me. I love it. Thank you so much for talking to us, Joan. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate uh, appreciate uh, your great questions. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the great answers. Um, it's uh, it's a wonderful book. We, I've been talking with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. Her new book is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. You can find her online at drjoanrosenberg.com. That's D-R-Joan-Rosenberg. That's B-E-R-G, drjoanrosenberg.com. She's also Dr. Joan Rosenberg on uh, Instagram and other social media as well. And of course, you're always welcome at KarenHigger.com. It's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a private session with me there if you're so inclined. Did you know that as an out of the fog listener, you can take 20% off the session fee for a private session? Mm -hmm. You have a magic coupon code podcast. How does that work? You ask. I'll tell you. You go to karenhager.com, click the book a reading button, and you choose a se session length and date and time. Type in your email address and then click the green box that says have a coupon code because you do. You do have a coupon code and the coupon code is podcast. So you type in podcast and that 20% off is reflected at checkout. So that and more goodness at karenhager.com. And if you follow Fog City Psychic on Instagram, you get more out of the fog content and assorted other silly and <laughs> diverting things. And thank you for listening today. Together, we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.